Hey man, you guys can grab a seat. And um, you know, I, I love um, I love our church loves a new songs. And uh, uh, that song that we just sang is such a great preparation for uh, what we're going to be going after today. And uh, if you need some uh, really uh, uh, music that will stir your affections for Jesus, um, that song was written by Benjamin William Hastings. He's recorded it. It is. He is a phenomenal artist with such a great heart uh, for the intimacy with Christ that I think we all long for. Amen. And so I just want to encourage you with that. So thankful for our worship team leading us this morning. And uh, welcome, welcome to Christ Church. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I hope you're ready this morning. I've been uh, just asking God this week, to, uh, trusting God's spirit to move um, in your hearts, in my heart, in worship. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to move in the preaching of his word, knowing that um, nothing is accomplished apart from the work of Christ. Amen? And so, um, Take Aim is the series we've been in. We're walking through the foundational elements of discipleship. And so in the series, it started in the fall. We started by talking about drawing near to Christ. Then uh, the series we finished up just last week is uh, knowing the work of Christ. And this week, we kick off um, the portion of the series where we talk about becoming like Christ, become like Christ. And like, I, I hope you hear that because this idea that, that we can become like Christ when that's sort of put in front of us in God's word, in the a calling that Jesus puts on our lives, like, I hope you hear that, like become like Christ. When you hear it, it, if, if you respond like I respond, it, it gives you almost the sense of like joy and intimidation, right? Like there's this joy of like, are you serious? Like God actually wants to form me into his likeness? Like that can actually happen now and begin to happen and shape my life? And God's like, yes, I can. Yes, I can. And there's also a bit of intimidation because you're like, um, I'm really far from Christ. Anybody feel like that this morning? Like, I'm like, a little bit of intimidation, like, do you really know me? Do you know the reality of sin and brokenness and, 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 and the way that I live and the things that I think? And um, here's the reality, because of what we know about the work of Christ, what Christ has already accomplished, we're going to take that in this series, all that we've learned so far, and we're going to go right at the ugliness of sin and see how the gospel can transform our lives. Who's in for that this morning? I know I need it and I want it more in my life. And so today we're going to start in Philippians. Get your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 2. Um, I want you to see God's word in front of you this morning because God's word teaches you how God's power works in and through faith to transform you into the likeness of Christ. And so this is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Paul is advancing the gospel, communicating the truth. He wants so badly for God's people to be living in the victory of the gospel and being formed to be more like Christ. And we're going to focus on verses 12 and 13. But when you get to chapter 2 in Philippians, I, just, I can't give you 12 and 13 without you seeing verses 1 through 11. So follow along with me starting Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That alone could change the world. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. There it is again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, notice, in Christ Jesus. Not apart, in Christ Jesus. Who though, now it's talking about Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then, yeah, that's, that's a good amen point. You guys got me. You guys went where I probably should have stopped and given you some time. Then notice, from that point, now he goes to verse 12. Therefore, because of what Christ has done, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now what you're gonna see in the very beginning is there's kind of this, there's like two seemingly opposite things where in two verses, it's like work out your own salvation, but it's God who works in you. And you're like, okay, what's going on? So many people have tried to pull people one direction or the other in that, and I want to encourage you that if God gave you something that might feel like it's stretching you in two different directions, in your mind and your focus and your understanding, maybe, just maybe, God wanted us to live in the tension. I'm compelled by the tension, as you're gonna see in this message. I think God wants us to live there, not try to resolve the tension. Or he wouldn't have put us in the tension in the first place and put two verses, one right after another, that are equally true. So let's start as we unpack this. Let's start with this big idea. Strive, as we start off in this Becoming Like Christ series, strive to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. If you want to be a disciple, if you want to become like Christ, If your heart longs to be transformed authentically into the likeness of Christ, you will constantly strive to live in the tension of the three exhortations that sort of, and encouragements that come from this passage. The first one is this. Pursue the blessing of salvation. So Paul starts this passage by going, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, and he gets to the detail part. Let me just say at the very beginning that Paul was dealing with the tension where sometimes the people who followed these like respected teachers would be like, oh, we wanna follow everything you want us to do when the teacher was around, the teacher would leave and they'd be like, and they head off in another direction and Paul's like, no, no, the gospel is The intent of it is to be transforming your life, not just when I'm in your presence, but all the time. And so Paul unpacks then this idea of, he calls every disciple to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But we're gonna talk about the working out part in the next point. But the question is, what are we working out? 
What are we working out? Your own what? What's the word there, church? It's salvation. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. So we need a definition. I want to make sure we have a clear understanding, and I'm going to unpack this definition. A salvation in Christ is Christ's progressive deliverance from the power and the penalty of sin to wholeness and security in relationship with God. It is a progressive deliverance from the power and penalty of sin to wholeness and security in relationship with God. So let me just, let me just clarify this definition. First off, salvation cannot, authentic biblical salvation cannot be something that only happened in the past. So like, a true biblical testimony is not something that has with it simply, I got saved when I was 16 years old. That would be part of my testimony, part of my testimony. But salvation cannot be something that only happened in the past. It also can't be something only in the future. God will save me from hell and when I die because of my faith in Jesus. It should also be in the present. It has to be in the present. I am being saved from sin that threatens my life. Salvation is, and the blessing of salvation, it's past, present, and future. Yeah, 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 it had a point. It had a point when it started. The blessing of salvation began in my life when my eyes were open to the truth of who Jesus Christ was and my faith took hold of that. And if that has not happened in your life, the beginning of pursuing the blessing of salvation is to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Where you're like, it's not anybody else's faith, it's my faith, that's the your own salvation part, means that you've personally identified with Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you've prayed to him and asked that he would do whatever he wants to do with your life. There has to be a past component. But then it continues progressively in the present through relationship with God where as I follow Jesus, he's identifying things in my life to, to, to repent of and, and he wants to transform me to be more like him and I'm so dependent on him in that because I'm so messed up. And there's also things in the world that he wants to protect me from. And, and this work of him protecting and leading and me repenting and changing and falling on my knees before him and asking for him to transform me is a progressive deliverance then to the place where in the future that I know the promise that Christ will save me from an eternity separated from God and instead welcome me into an eternity with him. It's past, present, and future. Salvation is the whole package. The blessing of salvation is everywhere in those as they work in my life. And, and, and it wants to impact my present, but I have to have this definitive past decisions to follow Christ. And I also need to have the promises of God that give me hope in the moments when it's just hard in this life. You guys know what I'm saying? And so we gotta pursue the blessing of salvation. All of it. You have to understand the value of salvation. You have to understand the value of salvation. If you don't understand the value of salvation, you will not move to become like Christ. The value is important. And uh, Jesus gave the perfect illustr illustration of this. I've 
told you guys in the past that if, if there's ever an, a, a time when I'm trying to find an illustration and Jesus has given it, I don't try to one-up Jesus, okay? Everybody good with that? I feel very comfortable with that. On Matthew 13, 45 and 46, Jesus said this, talking about the kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is a parable. Jesus isn't talking about an actual merchant or an actual pearl. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like, it's like. So the merchant finds this one pearl of great value. He assesses the value. Notice, something is found. So salvation is being presented to you right now. For some of you, you've already assessed the value of it. You're with me. You're like, wherever you're going, I'm ready to go. Wherever God's word is leading, I want more of it. Help me even understand the value more deeply. Some of you haven't quite assessed the value yet. You're hesitant for whatever reason. But, but, but what the response of the merchant was is he sold all that he had and he bought it. He did everything necessary to pursue the pearl of great value. See, salvation leads you into the kingdom of heaven and not just in the future. He invites you to begin to experience the blessings of salvation and the work of the kingdom of heaven right now. God's establishing a new kingdom in the midst of his world in and through the church of Jesus Christ. It's the kingdom of God beginning to unfold, beginning to play out all sorts of mess, okay? All sorts of messiness and, and, and change and transformation that God's trying to bring, but so much value. And so I just encourage you to assess the value of salvation and let it draw you forward in this season, in this series. There's nothing of, of more value to pursue than salvation in the kingdom of heaven. There is nothing sweeter this side of heaven when we fully realize it. The only question that remains for you to answer day by day, moment by moment, is are you willing to give up everything to take hold of this one pearl of great value? It's your own salvation. You have to make that decision. It's, it's not the idea of salvation. It's not, it's not your parents' salvation or your grandmother's salvation. It's your own and to, before you can even talk about working it out, it has to become your own. If any other pursuit is keeping you from experiencing the blessing of salvation, are you willing to let it go to actually get rid of it, to sell it, to pursue salvation? Any other pursuit has to be laid down. Salvation in the kingdom of heaven, there is nothing greater. Pursue the blessing of salvation. Strive to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Then the second exhortation is this, prepare for pain. I could feel the murmuring. <laughs> so you might ask, where did you get the idea of pain? Um, because it says work out. Okay? Like, some of you are like, dang, I've been trying to avoid that working out thing for a really long time because of the pain associated with it. Any work to accomplish anything excellent or good requires an effort from somewhere that always creates some degree of pain. Being transformed in the likeness of Christ always includes pain. 
I don't love this one at all. I don't think anybody, even anybody walking through pain is not like, I really love every part of pain. But, 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 watch. In the scriptures, in Hebrews, you see God share that there seems to be this way that the followers of Jesus Christ will actually lean into pain because they've been trained by it and they know that when they lean in, there is a harvest of righteousness if they lean in. And it actually says that they've been trained by it. That's the word that's used. There's something about it that they don't love it, but they see the benefit of it. And there's, it's, it's, it's worth it. There's, there's no question to those who've been trained by it. Yes, it's painful. It's painful because it's a, it's a work against the desires of your flesh. It's, it's against the current of the world. It's against the enemy that wants you to pursue anything and everything except your transformation into the likeness of Christ. Nothing would delight the enemy's heart more than to get you away from being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And that is a lot of resistance. Listen, I hear you. And I know that there are some days when you're just like, I can't resist anymore because of the patterns you've set in your life, because of what's been done to you, the resistance and the work of that, because of the realities of of what's around you in your life and the circumstances and the situations. That's a lot of resistance. And we we, we know this, we understand the pain and how it it works to, in the midst of the transformation of our physical bodies. Working out causes your muscles to break down, which causes pain, but in the healing, they repair themselves and they actually are transformed in size and strength. It's why the classic workout mantra is no pain, no gain. And and the pain in spiritual transformation is different, but it's still required. Work out your salvation so the benefits of salvation can be realized in your life. Now, let me clarify something before I kind of unpack the pain part. Um, This verse, it calls you to work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. Okay, you gotta write that down. You gotta make sure you get that and understand that throughout this whole series. We are not working for our salvation, we're working out our salvation. Salvation is only possible because of the work of Christ. Forgiveness and freedom from sin and death is available because of the finished work of Christ. Amen? Amen. Like we don't have to earn that. Salvation is not earned in any way. It is by the grace of God. Working out your salvation is activating into your life what God has already done. That's what's happening here. Working out your salvation is activating into your life what God has already done. Okay, so back to working out your salvation and the pain part. Just wanted to clarify that. We're working out our salvation, not working for our salvation. Um, honestly, as I was thinking about this, what's the picture of, of, of pain in God transforming us? And I was reminded of a, one of the most beautiful pictures of pain required in spiritual transformation actually uh, comes from uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, in the third book of this fictional series, uh, it is uh, titled The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in this, 
in this book, in the series, it features the story of Eustace. Um, he is the cousin of Edmund, one of the, one of the main actors. And uh, Eustace is, he's a punk, okay? Eustace is, he's arrogant, he's self-centered, and honestly, he's just a bit annoying. And um, on the voyage, they, they land on an island, and Eustace finds this dragon's lair full of treasure, and Eustace's heart is just like greed and, and greed overtakes him and he puts a beautiful gold bracelet on his arm and he falls asleep and when he wakes up, he's become a dragon. And he's experiencing as a dragon this constant searing pain from the bracelet. The bracelet fit right around his human arm but now his larger dragon arm, it's squeezing him reminding him of the greed that led to his transformation. Eustace realizes in the midst of this that not only is he experiencing the pain, but he's also experiencing separation because he's a dragon now, and so he's separated from his friends and all of humanity. He's sad, he's lonely, and he just longs to change. He's like, I don't want this, I don't want this. Feeling the consequences of his greed. At night, Aslan, who is the the lion that is the Christ figure in this fictional series, he comes to Eustace and he leads them, he leads him to a pool of water. And the water is, is pure and beautiful and Eustace sees his reflection in it and is convicted by the reality that he's become a dragon and, and, and he kind of wants to jump into the water. He thinks that the water could actually heal him and Aslan tells him that first he has to remove his dragon scales to be healed. And Eustace tries in his own power to, 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 to peel back the scales, but, but he can't. Every time he peels them away, there's just more scales there. No change. And in this encounter with Aslan, Eustace recalls what happened in the story. And let me just read it for you. It'll be up on the screens for you to follow along. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke. You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay a flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab off a sore place, it hurts like bilio. Interesting reference. But it is such fun to see it coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. And there was I as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and, and smaller than I had, had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on and he threw me into the water. It smarted or it hurt like anything but only for a moment. After that it became perfectly delicious and as soon as I started swimming and splashing I found that all the pain had gone from my arm and then I saw why I had turned into a boy again. As the story continues, there's this comment from C.S. Lewis at the end. It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. 
To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. There it is. That's the picture of the necessary pain that comes in spiritual transformation. I mean, those of you who know the passages know that the Bible is talked about as being living and active and piercing to dividing to the very center of soul and spirit. That is the picture of pain. No one, no one understands that picture of scripture is like, oh, that's so sweet. It's not. It's not. It's violent and it's painful, but it's, but it's good. It's good. And when we surrender to the work of Christ, it will be painful, but the process will free you from sin and lead you to gospel joy so that you can then, along with, with, with C.S. Lewis declaring uh, about what was happening in Eustace's life, but certainly was a picture of what happens in the followers of Jesus Christ, that through the work of Christ, actively being worked out, the cure has begun. The cure has begun. See, you can't run from the pain of spiritual transformation. As a culture, we are trained to try to flee from all pain, aren't we? And in many cases, and a lot of cases, it's right and good, but, but not when it comes to the pain of spiritual transformation. Prepare for pain, don't flee. I, 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 unfortunately, in my own life at times and in different seasons, and certainly as I've ministered in the context of the church, I see people choosing mediocrity in their faith all the time because they avoid or they shrink away from pain. People struggle with sin, but they're like, you know what, I don't want to admit how bad it really is in my life. I don't want to admit my failures. I don't want to get counsel. So they choose mediocrity instead of transformation. A relationship gets hard and, and someone experiences a slight and they're like, oh, that hurt. And instead of trying to address it, they, they just leave the relationship or the group of relationships. I see this all the time when people leave the church sometimes. It's heartbreaking. I'm like, you're not leaning in. And this is going to continue to happen to you. Please hear the encouragement of God's word. You seek to love people and then it gets challenging and you're like, well, 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 why is it hard? It must be their fault, so I'm out. And, and then, and then you, you, you strive to do something like lead someone to Christ and you get rejected and you're like, ouch, I'm not doing that again. And you choose mediocrity. You choose mediocrity, and some of you have such a pattern of that in your life that you now have gotten to the place where you're like, well, maybe God's not real. Maybe God doesn't want to transform. Maybe, maybe there's something just wrong with me, and I can't, and, and you just keep running away from pain, and some people have gotten, enough, have gotten close enough to the gospel to experience the beginning of the pain, but haven't stayed underneath the pain long enough for the transformation, and and, and, and some of you just don't stay under long enough to experience the fruit and the blessing. But once you do, and only once you do, then you start to experience the harvest of righteousness. And now, when pain comes, you're like, what is God teaching me? What is God teaching me? Because I've experienced the harvest of righteousness, and I don't want to miss it. 
because this transformation is good. So we have to prepare for pain. That's a part of striving to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And then finally this, point three, persevere in dependence on God. Persevere in dependence on God. The crazy part of this passage I mentioned earlier is right in front of us now. So you're called there, verse 12, work out your own salvation. Then it continues, it says, with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now let me be clear that when the Bible says there, fear and trembling, there are, um, there are two aspects to fear and trembling, and we, we tend to, at times, can, can steer one direction or the other. There can be this sort of intimidating, cowering fear, which I don't think is the character of what this passage is talking about at all, but there's also this balance in fear and trembling between sort of an awe and respect of like, God's awesome and a bit intimidating, because he's all-powerful and holy and, and he, he, could, he could do a lot of really bad things to me at any point, but, but you're just sort of this awe of the power of God. But then there's also this, this, this fear and trembling that comes from the, the excitement of God loving you and wanting to draw you near, and you're stuck between the tension that we should live within when it comes to fear and trembling. It is a confident, worshipful fear and trembling that surrenders to the will and the work of God for his glory. I would say that the best way to understand it is a joyful dependence. There's a joy, if you've ever seen someone kind of trembling, there can be, you can tremble with excitement. You can have sort of a fear and an awe of what's happening and, and that's the picture here. And then um, he continues by saying, for it is God who works in you. And, and all that's being highlighted here is this. Note this, transformation into the likeness of Christ is a supernatural miracle at every point. Why? Because we don't deserve the glory. God does. He does it for his own pleasure. He does it and he works it in us because he loves us. Paul is clear, the only way transformation is possible is through God working in you. You can't persevere in your own power. If you try, you might, you might be able to, at times in my life, I've, I've seen this happen. I've pursued obedience and I've just white knuckled it. You guys know what I'm talking about? We're just like, I will become more like Christ. <laughs> and, and, and you might get there and you feel like you're like, okay, I'm trying to be obedient and you're white knuckling it, or, or you're forcing your will to try to be obedient to right Christian actions because that's an expectation from other people around you, or even an expectation you feel like you have to fulfill, but your heart and your desires you know are not being transformed. And it starts to feel fake, doesn't it? It starts to feel a bit like an act. That's not gospel transformation. Gospel transformation starts with the fear and trembling and an awe of God. Gospel transformation starts when my, my hands start to get up towards God because I'm in awe of who he is and I'm wanting to draw near to him and I'm wanting to be faithful. And in the midst of that faithfulness, I realize there's some other things I've got to let go of. And my heart is being transformed and my actions are coming out of a heart that's been transformed. That's gospel transformation. 
And so we have to persevere in dependence on God because so often in transformation, I've experienced this in my life. It's like one, two steps of dependence on God and then I'm like, I got this. And then you're like, right? And we, we find ourselves back at this place of conviction. So how does this work together with the call to work out our own salvation? Sam Storms in his article I read this week helps us check this out. When God works antecedently in you, that means previous to, it doesn't make your effort unnecessary, it makes it possible. Think about how much praise should erupt in our hearts when we notice that, when we acknowledge that. Every single move, every single move towards God in worship that you had this morning that was beautiful and pure and good, God was working that in you. Praise God. Praise God for that work. He's caused us to be more dependent on him. God performs a miracle in your heart in order that you might obey his word. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. He causes us freely and joyfully to take advantage of the resources he gives whether word or prayer, community, all sorts of things. God is faithful to his new covenant promises. And then Sam Storms just, just quotes Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You know, I, I think that one of the things that um, I've found in, in recent history is that um, some believers have accused Christianity of being a nothing more than a crutch. And um, they, they view Christ and the gospel as something that, that you lean on unnecessarily to deal with the issues in your life and, um, and, and, and use it because you don't have or haven't recognized the power within you. The critique argues that the human is strong enough on their own to find goodness and peace and joy without God. That's the narrative. That's the message. And in response to this, I would say and question anybody who would bring that critique, how is that working for you? Because it, it, you, don't have to, you don't have to spend a long time looking at the headlines. You don't have to spend long looking at the reality of what's playing out in our societies and in our, in our younger generation or in any generation. Desires unchecked that by default we seem to have innately within our hearts and lives seem to constantly lead us to destruction. And so in recent days where the reality of following after the gospel has become more and more foreign, we also at the same time are watching an increase in anxiety and depression and suicide begin to skyrocket. And we wonder why. Well, why can't we just fix it in our own power? Aren't we at the height of human development and technology to be able to figure this out? I ask the question, how is that going? And I declare on the authority of this passage and the authority of all of God's word from Genesis to Revelation that yes, Jesus Christ is my crutch, but oh, he is so much more. He is the only strong and trustworthy support for my life and I don't just lean on him, I cling to him. 
He is everything that I have. I am like, I am like apart from Christ, I am like a lifeless, sort of spineless, it's a really disturbing picture of me, I know. Just roll with me for a second. And, and I, I can't do anything good. Even my sense of trying to do good will eventually become infected by either other people's sinful desires or my own. It will be um, completely malnourished and formed. The only hope I have is to grab hold of, to cling to the reality of Jesus. I know that I am dead in my trespasses and sin apart from who he is. And even the power that he gives me to grab hold of him is born from his love and his desire. And I literally begin to just pull my life up and lean fully on him at every point. I know that, that, that even my move towards transformation requires that I continue to lean even more heavily upon him. And, and, and I work out my salvation by pressing against the desires of the flesh and the world that exist around me. I'm so tired because of the filthiness of my sin, but I endure the pain of transformation, of leaning on Christ. And by the work of the Spirit in my soul, I continue to keep my eyes on the beauty and the power of Jesus. And I know after now decades of following him, he will hold. I have full trust in him. He is not swayed under the weight of my weakness and sin, not once. And with my eyes locked on him, I will persevere by God's grace in dependence on God. God, help me in this. God, help you in this. And every fall and stumble of, uh, or sin is a result of trying for a moment to lean on something that's not God and finding it so shaky in its foundation. And I have to return back and with the power that God gives me, pull myself up and lean on the crutch. But, 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 as I begin to lean and begin to take the weight off of places of brokenness in my life, God begins to heal. And the cure begins. And there's places that I still show a limp because of the healing that God has done. And, and there's gonna be a day when I meet Jesus face to face, when I will no longer need the faith to lean on Christ because he will be fully and completely before me and I will be glorified. And in that day, I will lean on Christ fully and completely, proclaiming to everyone that the cure has begun. That's what it means to strive to be transformed in the likeness of Christ. Pursue the blessing of salvation, it's worth it. Prepare for pain and, uh, and persevere in dependence on God. And so, this morning right where you're at, I just want you to um, just close your notes and just bow your heads uh, before uh, Jesus and I just want to uh, pray for us as we begin this journey of leaning into becoming like Christ. Let's pray together. God, I, I ask that your spirit would come now. Continue the work that you're doing in this service, but I'm asking that you would come right now and bring conviction. Father, your word says that the spirit that you give so 
freely, third person of the Trinity, that part of the role of the Spirit is to convict of sin and righteousness. Father, I pray for some this morning who they need their eyes affixed freshly on the finished work of Christ. They need their heart and their emotions rooted in the hope of gospel redemption in the future, in eternity. And right now, God, give them a zeal energized through the power of your spirit to strive to see transformation in areas of their life. God, maybe there's been an area of their life that has been a place of great defeat. God, let them start new with your mercies that are new every morning. God, for some this morning, I pray that they would uh, be able to uh, see you clearly and that they would lay down all of the efforts they have been making and they would persevere in dependence on you, knowing that you work and will for their transformation. I pray, God, in our community with one another that we would be able to see the places and be honest in places where we are broken or where we are limping and that we would proclaim that through the work of God in our lives that the cure has begun. And when we fall, that we would, in the power you've given us, drag ourselves back to the place where we're leaning on you fully and completely. God, be magnified. We love that this is your good pleasure. Let us submit and let us surrender and do the deep and painful work of transforming our hearts for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.